everybody. Are you sure? Yeah. Why don't you guys come back down here because we're going to talk some more about this stuff tonight. Yikes. Alright, so we're going to talk about godly relationships tonight. And the bottom line is the kingdom of God is based on relationships and nearly every problem in this world today stems somehow from relationships. Just look at what's going on in Egypt and the fact that people are mad at Mubarak, who's led the nation for 30 years, there are some relationship issues there. There are some boundary issues there. And it's causing hundreds of thousands of people to riot. People are losing their lives over this. This is happening all across the world. And as far as the Bible is concerned, as far as God is concerned, relationships are top priority to God. Right? The Bible is constantly telling us about relationships. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 12, 30 through 31? were the most important commandments. One, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? This is talking about our relationship with God, our interaction with God. The second was to love our neighbor as ourself. Right? So right, right from Jesus' own mouth, the most important things you could ever even be thinking about are relationships with him and with others. So that's kind of what we're going to get into tonight. Jesus came and died to restore a relationship between us and God. That's the whole reason that he came to this earth and the whole reason he died on the cross and rose again to pay for our sins. And while we're on that topic, we're not going to go too deep into that, but if you don't know Jesus, it's pretty simple. The Bible says that God loves every single one of us. And it also says that I'm sinful. And we all kind of know that from experience. I am not perfect. I don't match up to who God is. As a result of that, I am separated from God. right? And without a miracle, I'm separated from God for eternity. That's why Jesus came and he died on the cross to pay for my sin, because my sin deserved death. And when he paid for that sin, he offered me a free gift that I now have the choice whether to accept or not. If I accept that gift, the Bible says clearly that I can know by faith that I will be with God for eternity in heaven. If I reject that gift, the Bible says I can do nothing but have a fearful expectation of an eternity apart from God that the Bible defines as hell. Right? So the choice is mine today. And Jesus says that he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he'll come in and they will have a relationship like friends. 
Again, going back to this relationship topic. So it's my hope that today, if anyone here doesn't know Christ, they'll leave tonight knowing Him. And you can talk to virtually anyone here, especially whoever brought you, if that's where you're at, and they could clarify that and, uh, and talk more about that with you. And I'm sure they would absolutely love to talk more with you. In John 13, 35, Jesus said that the world would know that we're His disciples by the love that we have for each other. All right? So again, not only is a relationship important with God, not only is it important with each other, but that entire world that's lost and separated from God needs to see the love that we have for each other in order to see Him. Isn't that kind of exciting that we get to portray His love to the world around us? Now, godly relationships are fulfilling, real, and produce good fruit. That's always the case. God never does things wrong. Everything that God does produces good fruit, always. Jesus said the entire law is wrapped up in loving him and each other. We mentioned that a minute ago. The, the problem, though, is that selfish relationships produce almost every problem that we see. right? And so when I do relationships my way, the result is a lot of junk and a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. When I do relationships God, God's way, the result is the opposite. It's fulfillment and joy and abundance. So what's the biblical view of love? I wanted to start by talking about four Greek words. This is kind of typical when you hear about love from a biblical perspective, that you hear these four words. Bless you, Kelsey. <clears throat> and uh, C.S. Lewis actually wrote a book about these called The Four Loves. If you haven't read it, you should. It's really good. Not all these are in the New Testament, but they are all in some way described in the New Testament. The first word is eros. We all know what that defines. Romantic love and sexual love. Uh, that word is not in the New Testament, but the New Testament has a lot to say about that kind of love. And we're actually going to talk about some of that today. The second word in the Greek is stergo, and it's also not used in the New Testament, per se, but twice the opposite of that is, is said to be wrong. So twice the New Testament tells us the opposite of stergo is wrong. And that actually refers to more of an acceptance or uh, an affection for, for other people, basically. Right? So maybe you could think of it as the way you see a coworker. You like them, and you accept them as a friend. Right? You're probably not romantically pursuing them. Maybe in some cases that has happened. Do you get the point? The next type of love that's discussed in the New Testament and in the Greek is phileo. And that's a brotherly love. It's actually where we get the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. And this is talking about a brotherly love. And it's talking about really wanting each other's best interest, right? Or wanting to um, be close to each other, wanting to spend time with each other. It's like when all you guys go rock climbing. You guys really want to hang out, right? You really want to have a fun time. Now, the apex love described in the New Testament, and it's kind of the, the focus of God's love for us, and the love that God wants us to model towards each other, is what the New Testament, or the, what the Greek would... Uh, would define as agape love, or that'd be the Greek word for it, right? And that's an unconditional, selfless love of putting somebody else over yourself. It's where I would say, Taylor, I'm going to put your good over my own, right? Now, going back to this morning when Aaron talked about boundaries, the only way I could do that is if I have an own self to surrender to your better interests. Does that make sense? Right? Because if I'm just getting walked over, that's not really agape love. I'm not giving anything. I'm just having really bad boundaries and getting walked over. Right? So if I really want to love people and love God unselfishly and unconditionally, I have to have the right kind of boundaries so I can lay down my life. Kind of like Aaron finished up talking about this morning. All four of those areas, and we're going to discuss this briefly, because I think it's important for you to hear. 
All four of those areas involve attraction. Attraction is just admitting that something is beautiful or nice. That's all it is. It's saying, yeah, that's beautiful. I'm attracted to pizza. I want to eat it. It's delicious. And on a personal note, I went five years without eating real pizza because of a gluten allergy. And it seems to have passed now. And the second I got a chance, I was down at Mama's Boy having pizza. Right? I had an attraction for pizza. You could also be attracted to a friend. I'm attracted to Malcolm. Not in a weird way, but I think Malcolm is a fun guy to be around. Every time I'm around him, he encourages me in my faith. Right? When I see him, I think, I want to be like Malcolm. Right? I want to be bold. I want to be courageous. I want to be strong. I want to walk for God on campus. And so there's an attraction. I'm attracted differently to my wife. Right? I want to hang out with her for all those same reasons. I want to be like her. I want to uh, emulate her example. But I'm also romantically attracted to Aaron. Right? So you could be attracted in a lot of different ways. In America, we confuse these by saying, I love everything. I love pizza. I love Malcolm. I love Aaron. Do you see that? I love that movie. So every single one of these, these different types of attraction we call love, and we really confuse what love is, and we really confuse what attraction is. Now, on a side note, attraction doesn't have to be sexualized, okay? That's just a side note that you should remember. And our society tries to do that, and it does it in a very bad way. It has a lot of bad results, right? And so going on from there, get this. You will be attracted to different individuals. Attraction does not equal romance. You can realize, uh, women, that guy is really cool. But you don't have to pursue a romantic relationship with that person based solely on how they look. That would be extremely foolish. Right, you guys, it's the same. You could find some girl that is probably the hottest girl you've ever seen that could be the worst wife you've ever met, right? And, so, and it's the same for you women. So just because there's attraction does not mean there has to be romance. In fact, oftentimes, that ends up really bad, right? Attraction is just an emotion. You're not an emotion. You're a spirit that has emotions, that lives in a body. Does that make sense? That's biblical, all right? So you can control your emotions. You can recognize... Um, that my attraction is able to be controlled by me. I can choose what I'm attracted to. I don't just let my attraction blindly lead me wherever it wants. Alright? So depending on who's on the throne, if Christ is on the throne, right? In Colossians 3, 1, Aaron mentioned it this morning, setting my mind on things above. Uh, I think it's Hebrews 3, 1. It says, setting my, my thoughts on Jesus. Philippians 4 talks about setting my affections on things above. When I'm choosing to put my heart and my mind on things above, Aaron also mentioned 2 Corinthians 10.5, saying take every thought captive. When I'm doing that stuff, having good boundaries with my own thoughts, deciding what thoughts and what emotions and what attractions I will own, and deciding which ones I will reject, the result is that I actually have direction in relationships. Isn't that good? My own emotions don't just lead me wherever they want, but I actually lead them. And that's biblical. Now, because, now, going on from there, I kind of want to read you guys the biblical definition of love. This is how we could define agape love. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Why don't you turn there with me if you have your Bibles? So I'll give you a few minutes to turn. What was it again? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I'll read it, but I'd like you to follow along with me. With that in mind, I am going to use a lot of verses tonight. I hope you're taking notes. If you don't get everything, don't freak out too bad. We'll put all this online next week, the video, the notes, the audio, so you can get it again. Just take notes on what really hits you, 
Okay? And we're only going to turn to a couple passages. I'll read a lot of them up here from the front. So if you're taking notes, just take notes on what really comes across, or what God really puts on your mind or impresses on your mind. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Isn't that a good description of love? That's pretty good. No one defines love better than that. I promise you that, guys. There's not going to be a commercial you see or a Valentine's teddy bear you buy that defines love better than that. That's good stuff. And so you can think of that as God's 15 relationship rules. All right? So if you're trying to think about how to do relationships God, God's way with the right kind of boundaries so that they'll be successful, you could think of those as being 15 relationship rules. Number one, love is patient. Real love is going to be patient. Right? I've had students tell me, this guy wants to have sex with me, and he says he really loves me. And I've, I've told those women, if he really loved you, he would really be patient with you. And if he's not patient with you, he really doesn't love you. I don't care what he says, but he doesn't. Right? Okay, love is kind. That's rule number two. Love is kind. Number three, it does not envy. Right? I'm happy that you have what you have. I don't have to envy that. It doesn't parade itself or show off. It is not proud. Number six, it isn't rude. Number seven, it doesn't seek its own interests. Right? I'm seeking somebody else's interests over mine with good boundaries. Right? And I can't do that if I don't have good boundaries. I just get run over. It isn't provoked. It bears all things. It believes all things. The best, not the worst. It doesn't listen to gossip. It doesn't rejoice in evil. It's ha it is not happy with others' downfalls. Have you ever been tempted to be glad when somebody you didn't like so much had a calamity hit them? <laughs> right? Or a bad grade on a test? You know, the guy that always rocks the curve and then he fails a test? That's always kind of fun. Anyway, <laughs> I took a physics class. It was modern physics. And we had a take-home final. And that class was torture. It was all Einstein's theories and everything. And I was not, I was not in the right group of people there. It was just a few physics majors and me. I was a chemistry major. I did not belong. So anyway, in that class, I was getting the worst grade. Everybody else was, was setting the curve every time and not me. And we got to the final, and on the final, I got there hours early to talk to the professor and get his help, right? And then, about 15 minutes before the professor was leaving for his hunting trip, which I knew, but they didn't know because they hadn't talked to him. About an hour before the test was due, all these physics majors show up, panting. We have an hour before the test is due. They said, Dr. Norton, can you please help us with this test? We can't do it alone. He said, well, I'd love to, guys. You should have come earlier. I'm off on my hunting trip. See you later. Make sure it's all dropped off by one. And of course, in my mind, I thought, yes. I'm going to set the curve on the final. You get a good grade in this class. Anyway, I rejoiced in their downfall. That's not love. Okay. Uh, number 12, rejo love rejoices in the truth of who we are in Christ, of what is true. Number 13, love hopes all things. Number 14, love endures all things. Uh, it keeps on loving when it's hard to. And number 15, love never fails. Right? Love never fails. A lot of us have had relationships fail. Real love does not fail. 
Now, all those relationship laws, all those relationship rules only work with good boundaries. They don't work otherwise, right? They only work with good boundaries. So I want to talk about how to have agape relationships, right? Because that's kind of like the definition of what agape or unconditional, unselfish love is all about. So I kind of want to talk about that. First of all, who do you need to have an agape relationship with first? God, right? If, if my relationship vertically isn't right with God, it's not going to be right horizontally with other people. It's just not going to happen. So Mark 12.30, Jesus said to love him and to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do you do that? What do you guys think? How do you love God with all your heart? What are some ideas? What do you think, Malcolm? Give him your heart. Give him your heart. <laughs> That's a good start. All right. Any ideas, Brandon? What do you do Monday nights, Brandon? Spend time with God. Mal, I mean, Brandon has a Monday night date night with God. Just him and God. That's awesome. You are loving God with all your heart. You're choosing to make him an important part of your schedule, in addition to a daily time. Right? That's so cool. How do you love God with all your mind, Joseph? I study his word. Study his word. Right? You know what you believe and why you believe it. How do you love God with all your strength? You serve him daily. How do you love him with all your soul? Right? He's everything. Right? He's what you live for. You see this, guys? If I don't love God that way, what's going to happen when I try to love others with those 15 relationship rules? How far am I going to get? Not going very far. <laughs> but see, a lot of times we try to do that. We try to love each other the way we think we should, but we're not connecting with God first, and those relationships are just not going to happen until we get this vertical relationship with God set in stone first. I would encourage you to set up a daily time to spend time with God. I would encourage you in the morning is best. That's when Jesus did it. It's a great time to spend time with God, to start your day off right, getting in his word, getting in prayer, praising him, letting him know what he means to you, putting him in his right place, putting him on the throne, confessing any known sin. If you start starting your days like that, you will see that inevitably you'll begin to love other people, your neighbor, as yourself, as a result. It kind of flows out of the relationship that it's happening with God on a daily basis. Obviously, don't end that. At your quiet time. When your quiet time gets, gets done, you don't just say, Okay, God, adios. Doing this my way. Right? Throughout the day, you can pray continually. Remember? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I can continue praying throughout the day. I can continue meditating on his word day and night. Continue connecting with him. Continuing then to fellowship with others, experiencing God that way. Loving my neighbor as myself. So here is how we should love other believers. And these are just a few ideas. These aren't all of them. Again, there are going to be a lot of verses here, so bear with me. But this is good. First of all, I should love my neighbor as myself, like Jesus said. Second of all, Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to each other in brotherly love and honor each other above yourselves. That's pretty big. That's huge. That's actually the theme verse for angels and mortals, what we're doing this week. And how many of you guys are liking that, by the way? Pena loves it. Holy cow. I'm getting my hugs that I asked for. You're getting your hugs that you asked for? Everybody should give Alex a big hug tonight. Right now? Wow, that'd be good. Violate his boundaries, just hug him. He won't care. I love hugs. He loves hugs, so he's okay with that. Anyway, so be devoted to each other in brotherly love and honor each other above yourselves. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but humbly think of each other as better than yourselves. 
I should be loving my brothers that way, thinking of, of you guys better than myself. It's not natural to do that. I need to be connecting with God if I'm going to get there. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. Right. So I'm actually putting into action the love that I have for my brothers and sisters when they have needs. Ephesians 5.21, submit to each other. That important, right? And submission, for all, a lot of times people think, oh, I hate that word. Really, it was a military word in the Greek that meant two different military commanders would come together to fight the same battle. And one would say, here are all my forces, my, my horses. Yes, Kara. Kara, Kara knows this definition. And, and, and together they would win the battle. So this isn't a bad deal. But this is a picture of real unity, fighting for the same purpose. Right? This is when you guys are out sharing your faith and you're serving each other and picking up where each other are, are coming short. Right? You're, you're there to support each other, to, to serve each other. You're submitting to each other so that the team can win. Okay? Colossians 3.13, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Romans 12.13, share with God's people who are in need. That's important. We need to be sharing financially. Even as college students, you guys have the resources for that. I would encourage you, again, all these go back to boundaries. But think of this, for example, 2 Corinthians 9.7 says that we're supposed to give whatever we've decided in our heart to give. Perfect example of boundaries. Just because you see a need does not mean that you have to give to that need. And you will see needs. And if you give to every single need you ever see, you won't have anything. You won't be able to cover your own needs. And then you'll be a burden on those around you. And I've known people like that. So in all these aspects of love... The point is to have good boundaries where I know where I begin and end and where others begin and end, where I'm not doing things out of compulsion, like it says there, but I'm doing it joyfully, right, as I have decided in my heart to do, having good boundaries again. So I should share with God's people who are in need. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says that, I should, that we should keep each other accountable and bear each other's burdens. When my brother is going through something hard, I need to be there for him. James 5, 16 continues telling me to confess my sins to my brothers and to pray for each other that we might be healed, right? So there's this accountability, there's this share, these shared burdens, and then I'm praying for you guys. Do you guys find yourself praying for each other often? I hope so, right? I hope so. And as you pray for each other, just watch how that transforms the way you love each other. Every time I pray for Malcolm... It makes me want to love Malcolm more. It makes me want to serve Malcolm. Every time I pray for Ashley, I get more excited to see what God is doing in her life and more excited to be a part of that and to serve you and to give to you any way I possibly can. Finally, Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says to encourage each other and to spur each other on to loving good deeds. Right? So I don't want to just be passively loving my brothers and sisters, but I want to be helping you grow. I've heard it said the worst thing you can do for someone is accept them the way they are. Right? Now, that doesn't mean you go try to change everybody's problems. That'd be bad boundaries. But as brothers and sisters, I'm going to be encouraging you guys, and I want you to be encouraging me to take the next step towards what God has for me, right? To grow into who God made me to be, okay? And then it says, don't quit fellowshipping, fellowshipping with each other in verse 25 there. See, we need each other, right? Connect is a weekly thing that happens. The Bible studies are weekly things that happen. Cross-training is a weekly thing that happens. Dinner at my house is every Thursday night. Those aren't just events. They're not just like another thing to burden your schedule. They're times to meet and encourage each other and to fellowship with each other so that we stay strong as a team. See, I need you guys and you need me and you need each other, right? And so that is kind of the way we love our brothers. 
Now, the next part of that, guys, is not everybody we know is a believer. And we're called to love unbelievers also. A lot of those same things apply to my unbelieving friends. But I would also say, guys, 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among those who are not saved, that they would see your good works and glorify God. And so I need to be living what I'm preaching, right? They need to see Jesus in me. The number one reason people don't put their trust in Christ is because of hypocritical Christians. So don't be that guy. Don't be the one that people say, I'm not trusting God because of that guy. I saw him, and if that's how Christians are, I'm not trusting God. Okay, don't be that person. So live a Christ-like life among unbelievers, that they might see God in you. That's one way that you can love them. Another way you can love them is Matthew 28, 18-20, where Jesus commanded every one of us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. That involves, first, evangelism. It involves sharing the good news with those that don't yet know Jesus. Even if they don't like it, that is loving them. You are taking the initiative, and you have to have really good boundaries to share your faith, right? Because you have to know, this is true, and I'm going to share it with you, and if you get offended, that's not my problem, <laughs> okay? Who is it that I was with last night? Was it you? No, no, no. It was Jake. He's not here tonight. Jake and I ran into the Cub, and this guy that we shared with, I got, I asked him some challenging questions, but I saw him, and I said, hey, I said, hey, Aaron, how's it going? And he said, Nate, it's going good, good to see you. And then I walked by him, and then he, he goes, hey, Nate, 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 Nate. I said, what? I turn around. He goes, can we make an agreement to never talk about religion again? <laughs> and I said, if that's what you want, we can do that, you know? But here's the deal. He was offended, and we shared the truth with him, and I'm still going to love him, and I'm going to be his friend. But I'm not going to say, golly, I wish we didn't share with him. Right? I need to have good boundaries. To some, we're going to be the aroma of death. That's what scripture says. They're going to hate it. To others, the fragrance of life. Right? The good news of salvation and a relationship they can have with Jesus. All right, guys? So have good boundaries and love your brother as yourself. Whether that's an unbelieving brother or a believing brother. Okay, now going on from there, romance is God's idea. So God isn't this mad God trying to destroy all your fun. He's not sitting here going, I hate romance. <laughs> right, I want to kill all Valentine's celebrations. <laughs> right? God loves romance. In fact, Dean Sherman put it this way. He said, God created the two sexes. It was his idea. Right? So the idea that there are two sexes that like each other is God's idea. Romance is his idea. In fact, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for romance. Right? It took some romance to make sure that we'd each be born. All right. <laughs> right, you guys all get that. You understand that. I hope you're all in college. Genesis 2.18, God said it's not good for man to be alone. This was his idea, to have romance between a man and a woman. The entire book of Song of Solomon discusses romance pretty explicitly, pretty almost embarrassingly, if we have trouble talking about those things. But it's God's word. God didn't back down, right? This is a poetic description of how God views the whole idea of romance. Now, God's version of sex, the way he designed it, is satisfying and fulfilling and progressive. And we'll share some of those. Uh, I'll share a great acronym with you in a minute. If you guys were at cross-training, you heard this last week. But before we get there, I want to read right from God's word in Proverbs 5. Okay, so turn to Proverbs 5 with me. You guys there? I'll give you a few minutes. 
Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your, your streams of water in the public squares? Oh, that's a question, huh? Yeah. Water, by the way, let's talk about sex. Oh, dang. It'll make sense in a minute. I don't know if I could come and read this <laughs> Should your springs overflow in the streets, and your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountains be blessed, and may your fountain be blessed. Hopefully not plural. <laughs> fountain is not plural. <laughs> and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always, and may you be ever captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress who embraces the bosom of another man's wife? Wow. So there's God talking about how we should be satisfied for the rest of our lives with the spouse that God gives us. This isn't a boring picture of sex or romance, but something that the world doesn't see. Not many marriages are lasting. Not many people are experiencing what God intended. And the reason they're not experiencing that is they're trying it their own way. And they're coming up empty every single time. And that's what it's saying not to do there. Because what God has <coughs> is so good. Right? Okay. So God created us with the romantic desires that we have. Aaron talked about that a bit this morning in, in dealing with becoming an adult, right? Not just trying to hide our sexuality or sexual desires, but realizing that God gave me this as a gift to be used in the way that he designed and decided, right? And that's going to be all, like, every time it'll be uh, the best way to do it. Doing it my own way has, has ended up in divorce rates that have never been paralleled in history. 50 plus percent of marriages end divorce. Nobody wants that, right? How many of you guys want to die lonely without loved ones at your side? None of us do. We all want that companionship and that love, right? But the world isn't getting it because they're doing it their way. What about unplanned parent pregnancies and abortion, right? That are, that are destroying entire demographics of our nation and future generations even? What about STDs? Remember the statistics I shared a few weeks ago on STDs that are rampant? I mean, I think it was like 100 million adults. No, no, no. It was like 60 million adults, maybe? Anyway, it was huge. But the statistic that blew my mind is out of sexually, um, out of sexually active college students, 50% will have an STD before they're 25. Imagine that. This is destroying. Those people are... Those people are never going to experience what Proverbs 5 was talking about. They're not going to get it. Right now, if you've been there, God can heal you. He can. I've had friends that have been extremely sexually active, and God has healed them. They have awesome marriages and awesome sex lives. What I'm really getting at, though, guys, is if we do this our way, if we do this the world's way, we die and we lose. If we do it God's way, we get it all. All right? Now, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. The reason isn't just to lose out on your fun, but it's to experience great sex. Now here is the acronym. I need some water. Thank you, baby. Alright, so sex God's way is great. Sex the world's way is awful. You're going to want to write this down if you're taking notes. 
So write down G-R-E-A-T on the left, and then maybe towards the middle of the page, write down A-W-F-U-L. Awful. So great on the left, awful down the middle, so that you can write out some words. You guys all got it? Wait, what was it? Great and awful. This isn't a verse. This is just an acronym. Yeah, but it, it's good. It'll make a lot of sense. Okay, sex, God's weight, is grounded. There's a context for it. There's a foundation for it. There's commitment there that enables it to flourish. Right? That's the G in great. On the flip side of the coin, you have ambiguous. That's the A in awful. There is no commitment. There is no security. Who knows if this person will be there tomorrow? Who knows if they accept you the way you are? And how do they know if you accept them the way they are? Right? It's performance-based acceptance rather than unconditional love. So you got grounded on the one end versus ambiguous on the other. Okay, the next letter in the great acronym is R, and that stands for respectful. Right? Sex inside of marriage is respectful. It's two equals respecting each other. Right? Whereas sex outside of marriage is weary. That's the W and awful. It's weary because, again, this performance-based acceptance wears down on you. It's not an issue of respect, but it's an issue of getting what you can, right? Of being selfishly pleased by another person or using that person for your own needs, not respecting them for who they are. Okay, the next letter in great in the acronym is E, and that is equal. Right? We respect each other as equals, and we are equals. A man and a woman in a marriage are equals. Right? There's not one that's over the other one or better than the other one. We'll actually show that from Scripture in a minute. Right? And in that equal relationship where you both have an equal say, you find that sex will flourish. Whereas outside of marriage, sex is factional. Right? It's two individuals seeking their own ends. Does that make sense? That's the F in author. Okay, going back to the A in great, it's agape. It's unconditional love. Sex that's founded in unconditional love is awesome because you're serving each other. You're putting each other first. And who doesn't want to be put first sexually, right? Isn't that kind of like the desire that all of us have for sex, right? Now, when you choose to put your spouse first, and they choose to put you first, you both get the best situation, right? So it's great. Okay, that's the A. The opposite of that, the you and awful, is ungenerous, right? It's selfish sex for my own ends. Instead of being unconditional, it's ungenerous. Okay, finally, on the great side of things, the last letter is T, and that stands for time enhanced. The longer you're with someone, with all those other foundational issues, the better and better and better sex gets. It's like anything you do, not to be too funny, but the longer you run, the better runner you're going to be. <laughs> the longer you kayak, the better kayaker you're going to be. The longer you snowboard, the better snowboarder you're going to be. The longer you have sex, the better you're going to be <laughs> at that. Right? Especially in a relationship. And as a couple, you build something together. Whereas outside of God's way, right, the last letter, L, and awful, is lost time. It's a lot of broken relationships going nowhere, starting new every single time, starting at ground zero every single time. 
right? Starting back with that same downward cycle every single time. So no matter what your past has been like, you can start fresh today, do it God's way, and experience great sex. Now, we're only on page two out of six pages, so I'm going to get going here and blaze ahead. Leah's <laughs> like, oh, no, I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah, I hope you don't fall asleep. Usually when we talk about sex and romance, though, nobody falls asleep. Okay, so God created men and women in his image, Genesis 1.27. You can check it out. He called them both very good, along with all of creation. We are very different, but we are equal. Galatians 3.28 says there's no Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. Right, so as far as position is concerned, as far as equality is concerned, there is no difference between man and woman. We have no different value in God's eyes. In fact, God throughout Scripture has masculine and feminine characteristics. Right? And together, we best exhibit the fullness of who God is. Right? None of us have all of his characteristics, but together we do. Now, with that being said, we are different, though. And the world might try to tell people, you're the same, you're not different. Remember in this abortion debate we did, where they said, there is no natural woman. And I said, uh, excuse me, pretty sure there's not a woman in this room with a Y chromosome. And... They blurted out that every woman has a Y chromosome, which was wrong in the first place. But beside the point, uh, the, the reality is we are very different. Biologically, we are very different. Uh, physiologically, we are very different. <laughs> Mentally, we are very different. The way we process things, I'm not saying that either one is smarter or better or anything like that. But we're different, and together we can form the best picture of who God is. Now, women, you are beautiful. You have an ability to keep track of everything at once. Right? I'm sure all you women in this room are thinking about this talk, and you're giving me a lot of attention, probably more than any of the guys in this room. But simultaneously with that, you're also thinking about every bill you have to pay. You're also thinking about every relationship that's been awkward in the last week, every person you need to email. You're thinking about every class that you have next week. You're thinking about every homework assignment that's done. You're thinking about everything you want to get something, every person you, or everything you want to get for your mortal next week, and what you're going to do for Valentine's, and what's going to happen tomorrow at the Super Bowl, right? You guys have all this going, and all the guys right now are thinking, "Boy, as soon as we're done, one thing, that's it, right?" See, you women have this ability to see the big picture in all of its parts. This is why Aaron beats me at every single board game we play, and it drives me nuts. Right? That's why I won't play her at board games any longer, unless we have other people, so, so I'm not guaranteed to lose. But anyway, guys, you women can see everything and keep track of what's happening all at the same time. As you'll see in a minute, that's not our gift as guys. You women are nurturing and caring. I don't care what any feminist ever tells you, you all have a mom gene, right? <laughs> I've seen it with my wife. Gosh. It could be the middle of the night, and our daughter could be screaming her head off, and I would sleep right through it. I don't even get it. Aaron is that. I forgot my daughter in the car three times in one day. Okay? That, that's... See, again, I, didn't, I had one window open. That was, I gotta go to the bank. I gotta go to the post office. That's, you know, the daughter window was closed. It's not open in my brain. So now, I'm not joking, when I'm alone with the girls in the car, I put my left shoe in the back seat. 
so that I cannot walk away from the car without my daughters and my shoe. Right? So if you ever see me walking around with only one shoe on, <laughs> stop me. <laughs> and tell me to go get my daughter. All right? But you women have this caring, nurturing uh, gift that really is modeled in God himself. That's how he treats each one of us. It's something that's beautiful, not something to be embarrassed by or to shun. You women are emotional, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. God is extremely emotional through Scripture. Emotions are not bad. They're great. They have to be experienced the right way, just like anything does. In their right context, though, they're a gift from God. And it's something that we need more of in its right context. Now, we men are a little bit different, right? We maybe have some abilities that most women don't excel at. Malcolm, I'm guessing, would beat any one of you women in this room at arm wrestling, right? I'm pretty sure, okay? If you think you can beat Malcolm, give it a shot afterwards. Some women might be pretty buff, but there's never going to be a woman that wins the world bench press record, okay? Uh, a lot of you men analyze everything. You're, you're analytically determined. You might not have very many windows open, but the window that you do have open you're pretty focused on, and you're going for it, right? And you might forget that your kid's in the car, but you're going to get your job done at the bank, all right? You have this ability to zone in on just one thing, which can be good, and it can also be bad, right? Men, you might excel at God's protection. You want to protect. That's why we want to go shoot an elk so I can give some food to my family, right, and provide for them. Anyway, so we're both equals, but we're created with different strengths, that together glorify who he is. I don't have to try to be like you. You don't have to try to be like me. Each one of us can be who God created us to be and celebrate that and enjoy that. Celebrate diversity like everybody already, always says, right? Those same people, for some reason, would tell you that it's wrong to be feminine. Okay? It's crazy. So men, you can't and never will be mothers. It's never going to happen. Women, you're never going to break the world bench press record. You're different. But you're equal in God's eyes. Now, we have to learn to live together in a way that reflects Christ. Because together, we're going to show all these attributes and characteristics. But the only way we can show those is if we're learning how to do it His way. right? Because if we do it our own way, we're just taking advantage of each other. And, and using each other for our own selfish reasons, not God's. right? So men be real men. Women be real women. And I'm not saying live up to social roles. I'm saying live up to who God made you to be. Men, you don't have to go bench 250, right? You don't have to eat like a gorilla. You don't have to watch Rambo flicks. There might be some guys that really like, I don't know, what was that awesome movie that, um, that Jack liked so much? Enchanted? Is that right? You loved that movie, right? No, I'm just making that up. I don't know if you liked it or not. Did you like it? Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> okay, you guys, you don't have to live up to social roles. Be who you are, right? Be who you are. Women, you don't have to have perfect curves, eat like birds, and watch princess flicks. Okay? Although, my two-year-old daughter, nobody had to tell her princesses were awesome. In fact, she likes trains. She likes all these big toys, tractors, and trucks. But you should have seen the first time she saw a princess movie. She was a cat. Princess. <laughs> nobody said, you're a girl, you should like princesses. She just fell in love with the princess. Even for trains, she yeah. 
Yeah, with the trains, she kisses them and hugs them, and yeah, she so she's very um, tender with her masculine toys, right? <laughs> I want to encourage you too, and this is Aaron that told me to remind you guys of this. You don't have to meet the world's expectations of you as a woman either, right? The world's going to tell you that that a real woman doesn't stay at home with the kids. Well, I'm not saying you have to do that, okay? You might have a career, and and uh, we have friends where the man is more the stay-at-home guy, and the woman. I don't know, you guys can decide that between you and God. But you don't have to live up to what the world tells you. Does that make sense? You don't have to do what the world says. You don't have to have this big career outside of your family. When, when we first started trying to balance our schedules so that we could both be on campus, I told Aaron, I'm, I'm totally willing to go 50-50. If you want to spend 50% of your time on campus and me 50% with the girls, I'm good with, I mean, yeah, with, our, with Eliana and Kara, I'm good with that. And Aaron said, Nate, you don't understand. This is my biggest passion in life, is to be home with my girls. Like, I want to invest in the girls on campus, but there's nothing I'm more passionate about than our two girls and any future kids God will give us. That's fine. You can be who God made you to be. You don't have to be who society tells you to be, right? You don't have to um, be just like a man, right? Rejoice in your femininity. Guys, rejoice in your masculinity. You don't have to suppress that on either end. You can be who God made you to be, right? All right, so social roles attempt to be liberating, but they're not. They place you under a burden that's not biblical, where you don't get to live out the freedom of who God made you to be. In fact, they steal your boundaries, like we've been talking about this week. They tell you, these are your boundaries. You can't stay at home, right? You can't be strong. You can't like Rambo flicks. <laughs> you can't. Hunting? Are you kidding me? What kind of a jerk hunts? All right? I don't know what the society is going to tell you, but you can be who God made you to be. You can have your own boundaries. All right? So how should you men treat the women around you in the body of Christ, in this group? Okay, how should you treat each other? Guy, girl, relationships, I'm not talking about romance, but just friendships, are awesome and satisfying, and you will get a lot from your sisters in Christ that your brothers just can't give you. Okay? I've had friends that were girls that put so much into my life. And we never dated, and it wasn't romantic, and it was an awesome and fulfilling relationship. And they made me a lot who I am today. God made me, but he used them. They're not a means to romance, but an end in themselves. Does that make sense? You don't just have to be friends with a girl so that you can get a date. You can be friends with that girl just to be friends with that girl. And to love her the way God loves her. Right? And to protect her and to serve her. All those different attributes we talked about in the body of Christ. She is your sister. Respect her, right? Don't manipulate her. You guys, we can manipulate women very easily. Don't do it. Whether that's by touch or, or what you say. Right? A lot of women say, ah, oh, this guy, just he, he always wants to date me. It's so bad, and I don't want to hurt his feelings. right? Guys, don't, don't put a girl in that position where she feels like she has to hurt your feelings. Because she has a hard time doing that. She's sensitive, okay? So don't manipulate what you know about her, right? And I've been there. I did that before, and it wasn't good, right? Put her above yourself. Keep your hands off her. Be careful. Women are touch-oriented. Don't manipulate them. In a minute, we'll talk about women, but if you feel like you're being manipulated, say, don't manipulate me. It's kind of simple. Hurt their feelings. Say, don't touch me. Say it really loud, too, so that he doesn't do it again. Right? Especially if you're in a big group of people. Don't hold your sisters to a standard of good looks or any other requirement. Right? A lot of times guys might think, 
I'm not going to hang out with her because she's not quote-unquote attractive. Who the heck cares, guys? Love your sister in Christ for who she is, right? We're not talking about dating here. If you're not attracted to each other, you don't have to date. Nobody said that. Love her for who she is regardless of how attractive you think she is. Because I tell you one thing, in God's eyes she's attractive and she's your sister, right? So love her the same way God does, all right? Be careful how you joke with them. Sometimes we can say jokes that hurt the sisters around us. Right, guys? Right, women? Have you guys been hurt by some of the jokes guys tell? Right? I've heard you guys saying, gosh, I can't believe what these guys say. Be careful, guys, what you say. Right? Okay, so how sh- and then be a blessing to them. So how should you women treat the men around you in the body of Christ? A friendship with a brother can be very incredible and fulfilling, and it doesn't have to be romantic. And I think especially because guys... We're, you know, we, I know, I'm going to just be honest with you guys. Before I met Aaron, I come to a retreat like this, and I have my checklist of prioritization for the women that I wanted to romantically pursue. Right? So there's, <laughs> laughing. I'm sure every guy in here is the same way. Right? There's like a number one, or maybe not. You guys might be cool and mini. Am I just admitting how lame I am? <laughs> like, definitely want to pursue something with that girl, but she's not there, that, uh, this one's number two, she's not there, that one's number three. Gosh, guys are terrible. Anyway, thank God. Don't project yourself on us, man. <laughs> don't project. Just having some good boundaries. Wow. Okay. I'm getting, I'm getting called out on my bad boundaries here. I'm losing my place in the notes, right? Okay. So, men are built differently than you. So don't lead them on if you don't want to lead them on, is what I'm kind of getting to. Because they'll get led on. And even if they're not super passionate about pursuing romance, if you lead them on, you probably aren't going to have that much trouble convincing them. I'm just saying. Okay? So, unless you want to be in that awkward position of hurting them, which you probably don't want to do, be careful what kind of signals you send out. Aaron, at this very retreat, right over there at that very table, before we were dating, before she was interested in me, kept inching closer to me, and inching closer, inching closer. We were watching The Matrix, which is pretty cool. I wasn't really paying attention to The Matrix, though. But she kept inching closer to me, and, and like her leg was rubbing against my leg, and I pretty much decided to marry her that day. And she had no interest at that time, right? It took a lot of... Prayer and fasting, like I said earlier, to get. She sent a lot of signals to eight guys. <laughs> yeah, she sent a lot of signals to a lot of guys. That even. Yeah. So anyway, I want to encourage you. Unless you want to break a lot of guys' hearts, like Aaron did that summer, uh, don't send out too many signals. Otherwise, these poor guys are going to think you're a jerk. So anyway, men are built differently. They think differently. Learn how to not encourage guys romantically, especially if that's not what you mean. We don't need the extra encouragement. We're already thinking that way. I promise you, okay? A guys will take almost any gesture of friendship to mean, let's go on a date. <laughs> we, we had a friend once that um, he came to me and he says, I think this girl likes me. And I'm thinking, she's way out of your league, dude. I'm pretty sure she doesn't like you. And, <laughs> and he tells me, no, no, listen. She came down with some chicken fingers and asked me if I wanted the chicken fingers. Okay? And, and I said, no. And she said, you might not want the chicken fingers. 
but the chicken fingers sure want you. And then she started poking me with the chicken fingers. I'm like, yep, she's in love with you, dude. Okay. You know what I'm But see, we can take anything to be a signal of romance. Alright? So don't manipulate your brothers, just like we shouldn't manipulate the women around us. You, you women, don't manipulate the men around you. We're sight-oriented, and I'm not going to be legalistic about what you can and cannot wear. That's not nobody's place but God's. But here's the deal. What you wear can really affect guys in, in a, in a not-so-good way sometimes, right? Guys are sight-oriented. Uh, they, could, they could go down roads you don't want them to go, you know. Don't go there. Be careful how you manipulate men, whether it's by how you dress, whether it's by what kind of signals you send out. Don't manipulate them, right? But love them. Okay, don't allow yourself to be manipulated. If you're uncomfortable again, say no. I just wanted to re reiterate that. Don't hold your brothers to a standard of good looks or intelligence or popularity. Befriend them just as Christ would, right? Be a blessing to them. All right, so you guys, don't be afraid of godly relationships with the opposite sex. They don't have to go to romance. Keep it God's way. Encourage each other, and it'll be awesome. Now, what about dating? This is what you've all been waiting for. And I'll just say, starting out, if you want a good example of dating, I'm going to say, look at Malcolm and Leah. They've been dating. Seriously, the more they draw near to each other, the more they draw near to God. Have you guys seen that? Right? The more they draw near together, the more they serve God. Have you seen that? That's a good relationship. Right? If your dating relationship causes you to go further and further away from God or to serve Him less and less, that's a huge red flag. It means you're not very good for each other. But when you start seeing things like they do, where, man, the more I hang out with this, Malcolm tells me, I love Leah so much. And the more we hang out, the more I want to be like Jesus. The more I want to serve Jesus. The more I want to be like Leah, I want to be passionate about Jesus like Leah. When Malcolm says stuff like that to me, I think, that's a real good sign about a relationship going the right direction, right? And that's, that's kind of stuff that, that we should all look for in a dating relationship. Okay, a date is defined as a prearranged social engagement. It can be either, one, a group setting, or two, one-on-one. -on -one. The seriousness of the dating relationship depends on the communication and honesty of the two people between themselves and God, right? This isn't just like the... <sighs> okay, that's not honest communication. The whole, you need a massage? Give me a massage. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure she knows what's going on, and she feels awkward, and that's why she's not talking, right? You guys, seriously, talk. As weird as it is, talk. Have good boundaries. Know your boundaries and communicate open and in the light and, and with God involved in it, right? Don't do any of this fake, like, I'm going to try and slide into a dating relationship on accident almost. Be honest and in the light, guys, okay? That's, that's the way to do it. What type of person should you consider dating? A single member of the opposite sex would be a good start, okay? <laughs> Reminds me of a Three Stooges episode where they find themselves in the Middle East, and this, they're in this harem of uh, some Saudi prince or some Arab prince, and Larry is looking at this woman who's dressed in this kind of Arabic-looking garb, and she has a whole bunch of grapes, and she's feeding Larry grapes. And Larry says, you're my type, baby. 
a woman. <laughs> okay? Pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Single member of the opposite sex. And then here's something, and this comes across sometimes awkward to people, but it's true. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. In other words, a single member of the opposite sex that is also a believer. This isn't because you're better than an unbeliever. In fact, you're probably just as bad as any unbeliever out there. You just have a Savior that saved you from your sins, and now he's changing you to be more and more like Jesus. You don't have anything to brag about, right? I can't go, I am something, okay? So the point of this isn't to say, I'm better than my unbelieving friends. That's not the point. The point is to say, again with boundaries, if you're in a relationship, there is going to have to be some progress together. You're going somewhere together. And it's going to be really hard if you're on two separate directions. It's going to be really hard if you're following two sets of beliefs. Okay? Relationships aren't going to work that way. I promise you. And it's best to be on the same page with God. And honestly, would you want less? Don't you want to be sharing the most significant relationship you have with the most significant person that you know? Right? You want to share that relationship together. Okay, so it's not because you're better, but it's because it's the best way to do a relationship. And as hard as it might be to say no to that non-Christian person that you have a crush on, trust God that in the end it will be better. Missionary dating doesn't usually work. Okay? And the rare times it does work are not, in, not a reason to, to try it in a new time. Joseph is a perfect example of what we're on a side note. Joseph... I'm glad Darcy did not hear this talk before she met you. <laughs> and now you guys are getting married. Awesome. Okay, so someone of similar maturity. This is important because you guys want to build a strong friendship. So dating someone of similar maturity is important. Similar maturity both in life but also with God. Right? Uh, someone who would be a possible candidate for marriage. It sounds awkward, doesn't it? Don't date anyone you couldn't consider marrying. That's probably self-explanatory, but in this world, maybe it's not, right? So somebody that you could see yourself marrying. And if, as soon as you can't see yourself marrying that person, probably end the relationship. And do that appropriately. Don't just love them and leave them, right? Don't just drop them. Also, don't mistake your difficulty with commitment for dropping them. A lot of guys, as soon as they start dating, they dump someone. I've been there too. Okay, so when are you ready for a special dating relationship? When the right guy or gal comes along, having a godly relationship, friendship only, and agape-based relationship first, uh, with that significant person, will be the best foundation. So you don't have to date the second you like someone. That might be the right person to date. That doesn't mean now is the right time to date. You might need to build something first, a little foundation of trust. You want your dating relationship to work out right, it's going to have to have some trust. Trust is built incrementally. Be friends first. Develop some of those key things. Here are some other prerequisites. One, you're not needy. If you are in a place where you think you need a relationship, I promise you you're not ready for a relationship. Two halves don't make a whole. Again, this is a boundaries issue. right? If that person is coming in just to meet your needs, that's never going to happen. You need to be at a point where God is meeting those needs, and then that person can be a blessing, and you can be a blessing to them, instead of just being parasites on each other, right? That's not good for anyone, okay? So two halves do not make a whole. If you're just two halves, that other person is nothing more than a commodity meeting a need, right? If you're two wholes, you can truly bless each other, 
and enjoy each other the way God intended. God must be number one in your life for that to happen. You can't be whole without him being where he needs to be. Don't make the opposite sex an idol right above God, putting them above your relationship with God. You might need to take a time period in your life where you say, I'm not going to date for this amount of time because I need to connect with God. I know some of you in this room have done that. I did that for two years at one point in my life. I said, for two years, I'm not dating. And during that two years, this girl that I kind of had a crush on for years really was interested in pursuing a relationship with me. And I held my ground and said, I'm not going to go that direction. And I know with complete certainty, if I would have, I would not be here today. That being a totally different setting. Right, you guys? So if you come to that point where you know you need to grow with God, don't skip on that. Right? And actually, I've been on the receiving end of that, too. There was a girl I was in love with, and we started dating. I was so excited. And the next day, she called and said, i got to be honest with you. I told God I wouldn't date for this amount of time. And as much as I want to date you, I'm breaking a commitment I made to God. And, and so I had to respect that. And I thank God I did, because I probably wouldn't be here if I went that direction either. Does that make sense? So if that's where you're at, take the time you need to be who you need to be with God, right? You need to have a solid identity in Jesus alone, okay? Are you maturing in Christ and have you matured to a place where you're ready? Are you walking daily in the Holy Spirit, right? Are you seeing the fruit of the Holy Spirit increasing in your life? Can you bless that other person as God desires and not just be a parasite to that other person? Are you encouraging positive growth in each other, like the example I talked about with you guys, right? That's important, even in, a, in a, an agape relationship before dating, right? And do you have the right motives for a dating relationship? You could ask yourself this question. This is a question Kyle Kostreva often asks, right, to his students. What could you get out of a dating relationship that you can't get out of your relationship now? If you don't have a good biblical answer to that question, you probably shouldn't start dating. Does that make sense? It's a really good thing to think about, right? Have you developed that agape relationship first with that person? That's important. It's the best foundation. Luke 16.10 says that when we're faithful in little, God will make us faithful with more. So before being made faithful with the dating relationship, guys, be faithful with the agape, unconditional love relationship. That takes time. Proverbs 12.26 says that a wise man is cautious in friendship. So be cautious in friendship. Be cautious in dating. Do this at his pace, not blazing full tilt ahead. And then when you've prepared correctly and think you're ready, fast and pray about it. You can fast and pray before you date about whether this person is the right person or not. And I would encourage you guys to do that. Seek confirmation from godly authority afterwards. Because people that are older and more mature than you in Christ might be able to see red flags you can't see. And so go to them with a humble and teachable attitude and seek their wisdom. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe it's one of us. Maybe it's another friend, a roommate, an accountability partner. But be willing to go to God first and then to go to those others second to see if this is the right thing. Okay, the relationship test. Are you individually and as a couple growing and maturing in Jesus and encouraging growth in each other? Are you having your quiet times, an effective prayer life, and obeying His will for you, sharing your faith, encouraging the body of Christ, fellowship? Are the fruits of the Spirit increasingly evident in your relationship? If you're lacking any of that, you probably shouldn't seek romance. But if those things are evident in your life and the person who you're interested in, you might be ready for a romantic relationship. So how and why should you date? I 
promise we're tying this together. Okay? The goal of dating should be what? What's the number one goal of everything we do? Good. Glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. That has to be the ultimate goal of a, of a dating relationship. Not what I can get out of it, but how can I glorify God through it? Are we together going to be a better team for fulfilling the Great Commission, for loving God, than we are as two individuals? <clears throat> I need some water. Uh, I think that's a great way to look at a dating relationship. Will it glorify God? Okay. Uh, after that, finding the right person versus becoming the right person. This is important. I think finding the right person is maybe 35% of the equation, guys. And maybe 65% is becoming the right person. Right? Be committed to being who God wants you to be first. Right? That's important. Okay. That will enable you to make wise and informed decision about marriage. Fight the urge to prematurely assume that you're going to marry this person. When you start dating, you might even say, we're going to set this many months aside without talking about marriage. We don't need that extra pressure on our relationship right now. We just want to grow in this dating relationship, serving God, without this pressure of marriage. Give the relationship time to grow. If you realize this person is not someone you would be able to marry, gently communicate and end the dating relationship before further emotional involvement before any further physical involvement, too. We're going to talk about boundaries real quick in a minute. Date in a way that if you do break up, you won't have regrets. In 2 Corinthians 1.12, Paul put it this way. He said that his conscience confirmed that he had conducted himself in his relationships with holiness and sincerity. Wouldn't you like to know that? Wouldn't you like to say after a dating relationship that you broke up from? I know, my conscience confirms clearly that we conducted ourselves in that relationship with holiness and sincerity. That'd be awesome. That'd be great. So live out your dating relationships that way so that if you break up, you won't have regrets. Okay? That's the right way to do it. Don't date just for physical pleasure. Treat that person respectfully as a sibling in Christ and as an equal. Set those boundaries. Hebrews 13.4, save sex for marriage. Matthew 5.28, lust is equal to adultery. Right? If different things you're doing are causing you to lust, then they're wrong. I'm not going to set your boundaries for you. We can't do that. Scripture doesn't say you can't kiss, you can't hold hands. But you know what is going to cause you to lust, what's going to cause you to think, what's going to cause you to start going in a direction you shouldn't go. That you should set your boundaries there. And I want to give you a quote. Remember the Hodges quote? Somebody asked Thursday night dinner. They said, how far is too far in a dating relationship? And Mark said, that's not the right answer. The answer is, how much can we glorify God in this relationship? So don't set boundaries and then push the envelope as close as you can get. You'll burn bridges. In other words, you used to be over there, and then you came over here, but you can't get back anymore. And every new stage you get to in a physical relationship makes it that much harder to get back to not doing that again. So don't burn those bridges. But instead think, how can I not push the envelope? How can I glorify God in this relationship, right? Ephesians 5.3, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. It's a high standard, but it's for our own good. It's not just so that God can make us all mad. It's for our own good to make this relationship last. Right? We're made to stick together. A lot of you have seen like duct tape, two pieces of duct tape together. The more they get ripped apart and stuck back together and ripped apart and stuck back together, they don't stick very well. So if you want a relationship that's going to last, don't push the envelope. Okay, so when are you ready for marriage? 
and this is the last little part we're going to talk about, not after six months of good feelings, because you really feel this is the one, but when you've learned to do the agape romance correctly, and spent adequate time developing that relationship, right? Are you circumstantially ready? I can't tell you whether you are or not, but you should think that through. Are we ready financially for a marriage? Are we ready circumstantially for marriage? Would we be ready for a kid? Right? A lot of times people get pregnant a lot faster than they thought they would. We've seen that many times. We've had two of our former students, two couples, get pregnant on their honeymoon. And they, neither one was trying to at all. Okay, so you've got to be ready for stuff like that. Are you needy? Are you emotionally ready? Is this marriage just a security blanket? Is it just trying to escape my parents or some other situation? That's not right. Are you spiritually ready? Is Christ your all? For you guys, are you ready to lead this relationship as a spiritual leader? If you're not there yet, you're not ready for marriage. Right? Is Christ your all? Are you grow growing in Him? Are you together as a team the way you need to be? Are you helping each other grow closer to Him and be who He wants you to be? Right? Those are some prerequisites for marriage. Have you sought God's will and had confirmation? Pretty much I know every time that we've seen a couple that beforehand everybody was saying, don't do this. Almost every single time, looking at it in retrospect, that couple's gone on to divorce. As in love as they ever could have thought they were, it didn't work out. And we've seen this, right, Russ? You remember multiple students that we're talking about right now, right? I'm old enough now, and Russ is even older than me, to have lived long enough to see people that are completely in love and in their own mind think they have something special. Almost the best advice I could give you is there's no such thing as something special. You guys got that? Everybody thinks they have something special. Everybody thinks we are, we're soulmates. We're meant to be together. And the reason you think that is because you're feeling feelings you've never felt before because you're probably further along in a relationship than you've ever been before. Right? And at that point, everybody just wants to make each other feel good. So you feel good. So you feel good and you think we have something special. When in reality, marriage is going to take a lot of hard work, a lot of commitment, a lot of going after God, even when it's hard, believing the best, even when you don't want to, serving, even when it doesn't feel good, right? There's nothing special. So don't just think, we have something special. And even though every person in authority is telling me they're red flags, they're wrong because they don't feel what I'm feeling. <laughs> we have people tell us that. You don't know how much we love each other. And every single time they go on to extremely bad situations, right? If you have people in authority over you that are, that are confirming your relationship, and here's an example, like you guys saying, you know, we're pursuing, we're not breaking up. I'm glad, right? If I heard that, that you two broke up tomorrow, I would be sad, right? As, you would be sad too. Like seriously, as, as someone that's in uh, spiritual authority, as a leader in this ministry, I am so excited about your relationship because I see that good fruit, right? I don't see all these red flags. Now, when you guys are in that relationship and you think you're ready for marriage, go to people that are leaders over you and ask their honest opinion. And tell them, I really want to be teachable. I'm not just going to trust myself here. I want to know what you think. And then as much as it might hurt, really try to take their advice and heed it, okay? And prayerfully consider it. I'm not saying just break up because one leader says break up. But take that stuff to God. Okay? Take that stuff to God. Okay. After all that, if you've sought God's will, pray, prayed and fasted. Will? I can't. I'm talking like a Texan. It's late at night. If you've prayed and fasted together and had confirmation, uh, you could be ready for marriage. 
Bottom line, start and continue treating each other the right way with unconditional love today, guys. No matter where you're at in this whole relationship process, know who you are, know who they are, have good boundaries with yourself and with God, and then love each other unconditionally as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the whole world is going to be able to know that we're his disciples as a result of that. It's possible to do relationships the right way. My parents got a divorce, and I was sure that romance wasn't possible. But guys, I can tell you with certainty it is, if you do it God's way. Okay, let's pray, and I hope you have a wonderful Valentine's Day. And I hope you guys apply all this stuff, and tomorrow we're going to have some questions and answers. And depending on how late it is, we might not do discussion groups tonight. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for how you work in each of our lives, God, and how you're the foundation for being able to love each other unconditionally. God, we give you this night, we pray that you'd make each one of us more and more who you want us to be, that you'd help each one of us love you more and more than we ever have before, and that we would love each other unconditionally the way you have loved us, God. We love you, Jesus, and bless the rest of this night. Amen.